Just before we start this episode, here's a brief disclaimer that we uh, did record this before the untimely and tragic death of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, we did. Uh, Untimely, we'll leave it up to you to decide. Tragic, absolutely. I promise that'll make more sense in the second half of the show. But uh, with that, you're listening to Days of the New. So excited to talk about this today. I just, I we need to get right into but it. But before you do, can can I show you something? Please. I've uh, I've discovered the official bottled water of Days of the New. Mm. I present to you black. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Everybody, Google this and message this company. I want them to sponsor on this show. This is bottled water with electrolytes. It is black. The bottle says, "Enjoy the dark." This water. Is actually black. <laughs> it's it's BLK. BLK. Enjoy the dark side. Alkaline water. Does it just taste like water? Yeah, I can't tell. Like it tricks my brain. <laughs> my brain knows it's not supposed to taste like water, and that I'd probably die if I drank this. So like, it. I swear to God, it looks like you're drinking motor oil right now, <laughs> and I'm really fucked up by that. But yep. does it smell like anything? No, it smells and just tastes like water, but I mean, it's, it's full of minerals. (laughs) We welcome your full sponsorship. We'll continue to sing your praises. Send us some of this sweet black water. Please, black water. uh, If black water's not available, I will take crude oil. I will take, is cocaine energy drink still a thing? (laughs) It is in Missouri, I swear to God. No. They still have it here. I promise you. Next time we hang out, I'm bringing you some. Oh, fuck. It still exists here. I need cocaine energy drink or in a pinch, (laughs) any port in a storm, actual cocaine. I don't care. This podcast is sponsored by Black. (laughs) (laughs) Because we enjoy the dark side here on Days of the New. Yes. Yes, we do. Do you know what else we enjoy? Contest winners. And Hell yeah. <laughs> today, I want to take us back to 2002. Now, it was a whole different world. It was also the year that Wes Borland left Limp Biscuit. They had released Chocolate Starfish in the Hot Dog Flavored Water. And at that point, Wes, I guess creative differences, nobody really knows, but uh, he left the band. I mean, they were at such, like, massive mainstream success at that point. I think he just wanted to go make weird music. I mean, like, nobody could be stoked about putting out Rollin' or, like, that awful cover they did of the Who is Behind Blue Eyes. The first oh. time I heard it, I almost drove my car off the road. Oh, that's where this came from. Fantastic. Yeah. So, West Borland left, and overall, like, Limp Bizkit's whole style was quickly falling out of favor. So, you could already kind of tell that Limp Bizkit... You know, Fred Durst was one of the biggest names on the planet up Absolutely. to this point. One of the yeah, biggest. it was Britney Spears, Eminem, Fred Durst, Christina Aguilera. Yeah, oh, one hundred percent. And you know, there was all the uh, the rumors of like, oh my God, you know, Fred Durst hooked up with Britney Spears, and like it was, they were on like the way that you think of like Jay Z and Beyonce today. Right. Fred Durst was one of those people. And it's fucking crazy to think that. But I mean, and, and naturally he's from Florida. Cause... <laughs> well, no. Hey, Nick, Gastonia, North Carolina is Fred Durst's birthplace, and oh, we claim wow. him. 
We claim it. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, I know we have a, a large North Carolina audience on this show. I didn't mean to offend all y'all hillbillies. Yeah. Hey, fuck you, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I live in goddamn Missouri. <laughs> what, what, what was it they said in uh, Fred Bursett? Just a redneck fucker from Jacksonville. It's like, dude, no, Gastonia. Don't, don't deny your roots. Anyway, so Wes has left the band, and Limp Bizkit's whole thing is kind of on the decline. You can sense that. Fred Durst is not a lot of things. One thing he is is incredibly media savvy. So in an effort to capture headlines, they launched Put Your Money Where Your Guitar Is contest. It worked like this. The band would be going to 22 guitar centers across the country where people could sign up and go through a couple rounds of auditions. After that, finalists are selected to audition for the guys and the top candidates get to jam with them and really feel the chemistry. Everyone else who participated gets to watch. So hey, free Limp Bizkit concert. And if you don't live in the area, that's okay too. You could upload original songs and guitar playing on mp3.com for a chance to secure an audition. If a submission catches the band's ear and they don't live close, the guys might fly the lucky candidate out to the nearest tour stop. Or just forward it over to Flaw for their next record. <laughs> this is this is like prime Limp Biscuit MTV. Like, you know, MP3s are a thing, but who right. gives a shit? Like... This is one of the biggest deals on the planet. And everybody's talking about like, oh God, you know, Joe Nobody could be the next guitarist for Limp Bizkit. I love everything about this. I love like the video that I saw with just a line of like white suburban guys with Fender Strats at a guitar center. Like they're like, oh yeah, okay, dad. <laughs> yeah. Come on into Limp Bizkit. With yeah. your Eric Clapton signature edition Fender Stratocaster. <laughs> Oh, and there's some certifiable fucking psychos who should. Oh yeah, dude. If this. I was gonna do it, first thing I'm doing, popping my shirt off. Yep. Oh, 100. <laughs> percent uh, Here's what Durst had to say about it in a press junket to MTV. We would be limiting ourselves if we stayed in LA and tried out guitar players. Our fans are a huge part of what we are, the six member. We want to bring it to them and see if they have something to contribute besides being a fan. We're doing it as if we weren't a band like this. We're doing it like a local band that is looking for someone in their city. We want to find someone who is hungry, someone we have chemistry with, who's cool to hang out with. It's like dating. They need to have something that when you meet them, it makes you curious enough to call for a second date. When you are a guitar player in an unsigned band, most of the time you don't have a lot of money. We want to bring it to them. A lot of bands say they're about the fans. We're trying to prove that we really are. We want to totally bug them out. So, <laughs> fuck wow. you. Oh God, I hate this guy. Yeah, he's basically saying, yo, we got a lot of money and you're stupid and poor. And we want to blow your mind. Yo, could you play guitar? You might be a Limp biscuit, you poor dumb idiot. <laughs> That's what he thinks of people. Yo, our fans are huge, and we want to see if they can do anything other than give us money, you fucking morons. Come to Guitar Center. You could be a Limp biscuit, dipshit. This was a huge deal, and it even caught the uh, attention of Black Label so Society guitarist Zach Wilde. And here's what he had to say about the, uh, about the matter. 
When that came to the LA Guitar Center, I was hanging out with Slayer guitarist Kerry King. We were like, why don't we go down there and try out? Now imagine that, in a line with a bunch of wannabe losers to play in a band that features <laughs> no talent at all now that Wes left, I would have to lay an ass whooping on that fucking no talent Fred Durst that he wouldn't soon forget. That band is such an embarrassment. To call that metal is disgusting. I know that Wes left that band because he knew that he'd made his money and couldn't take further embarrassment of being associated with that trash. Those guys just suck. <laughs> Dude, that's so good. Dude, I, uh, I saw Zach Wild once. And he played an unaccompanied guitar solo for like 15 minutes. Like just a man with an electric guitar on stage. Nobody wants to see that. And it was one of those shows where they had a, like a, a big screen where you could text something to it. And then it would show up on the screen. And it was all just like, get off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so good. But I he mean, was opening for Judas Priest. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, Zach Wilde's fucking good, dude. Yeah, like, dude, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to watch anybody wank off for 15 no. minutes on stage. No. Like, the, the whole band left the stage except for him. It was awful. Oh, God. So, yeah, Zach Wilde obviously uh, not trying out for Limp Biscuit, But the story that I want to talk about here and the one stop that I want to talk about here, it uh, takes place on February 2nd, 2002 at a Virginia Beach Guitar Center. So this is one of the stops on the Limp Biscuit Put Your Money Where Your Guitar Is contest. And like all of these stops, it gets a huge amount of local press. So Rock Station 98.7 WNOR FM, they had tents set up to live broadcast all day. And they, they ran a contest themselves where the winner gets a Gibson Les Paul Studio autographed by Limp Biscuit. The other thing that they also get is uh, they and a friend get to sit in and watch the band jam with uh, the winner of the contest. So they're getting like a private Limp Biscuit studio session, which, you know, is pretty cool. All that said, this huge amount of press, the radio's all over it. This is a very big deal. I'm going to be reading from a firsthand account of an unnamed participant from this event. Uh, his account was originally published on Harmony Central. Harmony Central oh, now leads you to a Malaysian gambling website. Oh my God, I forgot I'm... all about Harmony Central. Okay, is it a real thing? Yeah. Okay, dude, because I'm pretty sure I'm on FBI watch list for going yeah, there. Yeah, no, it was a website that like had all upcoming like instrument news. Like I was on Harmony Central every day as a, like a young guitar player. Are you serious? Yeah. Dude, okay, because all it is now is like links to Malaysian gambling. <laughs> That's it. I love it. I love how the early internet has just been like hacked to pieces by like <laughs> like Asian crows. <laughs> it's true. Cause I was like, I need to go to the original source and make sure this is legit. And like immediately, like I I didn't know you could get pop-ups on a Mac. <laughs> but goddamn, they figured it out. Oh my god. So uh you say this is legit. And uh, this was picked up by most of the major news sources of the time and uh, shared pretty widely. So we're going to this is going to be our main source for this. OK, he says or she. We don't know. The deal is this from seven o'clock to 11 a.m. You can sign up for a slot to try out for that day. The tryouts are from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. During this time, they have to take you into a room to play your stuff. At the end of that time, you leave. 
They call three to ten people at 5.30 to come back to the place and play in front of Limp Biscuit. This guy gets there around five in the morning. And right away, he's 83rd in line. And the line is already wrapped around the building. So he finally gets around the corner of the building at noon. His current time spent waiting to audition for Limp Biscuit is seven hours. Wow. Let's keep that in mind. Okay. This guy has stood in a line since 5 a.m. in front of a guitar center to play for Limp Biscuit. And what what, uh, what time of the year is this? Uh, February. Okay. Well, in Virginia. Jesus. Yeah. It's not, it's not pretty. I want to shift gears real quick, and I want to go over to a quote from Limp Biscuit's manager at the time, Peter Katzdis. In an article also from MTV. There was definitely an excitement in the air. Kids are definitely seeing this as a unique opportunity to display their talent in front of some people who could really make something happen. A lot of them are bringing their CDs and pushing their bands just as hard as they are trying to get into Limp Biscuit because they see what's happened with Puddle of Mud. From that viewpoint, everything that's going on is exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is pure managerial speak oh 100 yeah what a fucking grifter this guy is just keep that in mind put a pin in that real quick okay now we're going to shift back to our hero from harmony central so he finally gets up to the table to sign and there's your standard liability waiver yada 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 here's where things start to go off the rails it's a three-page contract this contract basically said that if you play you must sign the contract an interesting note Anything you play cannot be copyrighted and can be used by Limp Biscuit in audio, video, or recorded form of any sort. Oh my god. Which basically translated to the fact that if you play something, they are fully authorized to steal it and use it on a CD. The artist agrees to zero compensation and zero rights over the track. Unbelievable. <laughs> Do you know what they might get, according to the contract? What they might get. What? Their name in the liner notes, oh. if possible. Wow. If possible. If possible. Oh, I'm sorry, man. We ran out of space. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's, uh, you know. But hey, you know. Yep. Yeah. You know you made a difference. Your friends will never believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the Bill Murray. It's like Lip Biscuit was the Bill Murray story of new metal. Right, right. Yeah. The author, who has brought his band CD at the time and was, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, I'll put my band CD in front of him. He's been sold this whole fucking bill of goods by all of the press that MTV has put out there. And Fred just saying, you know, like, we just believe the fans are the sixth member, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so he says, fuck it, I'll make something up. He signs the contract and he enters phase two. Stand in a fucking parking lot for two hours. <laughs> He gets inside at 2.30, and then there's another 30-minute wait uh, for him to, you know, show him what he's got. His current total time waiting to audition for Limp Biscuit, 10 hours. Oof. So now I'm going to continue reading from him. Okay. So then we get to the rules. They're outlined for us straight out. No guitar solos. No playing cover songs. No playing copyrighted material. No playing Limp Biscuit songs. That effectively means that you're forced to play something that you made up but don't have any copyright for. Yep. This, this yep. is the write our next record tour in case we have to, like, bring in a studio guy. Yep. 
That's that's one hundred percent what this is. You go around to twenty-two guitar centers across the nation with people lined up around the block to show you what they've got. Like, do you want to stop here and listen to one of those auditions? A hundred percent. Okay. Oh my oh. god, I can't believe you have this. This makes me so happy. I have two. <laughs> First of all, this is from Oklahoma City, two thousand two. This song kind of sucks. Let's see what happens afterwards. <laughs> yep. Who cares? Don't give a shit. Fred's, Fred's sitting in the crowd, like nodding his head along to the groove. Yeah. Oh, no. He's feeling it. So there's one more guy I want to show you. And this is Chris Arp. Okay. <laughs> I hate that so much. Here's what he went on to do. Which is pretty fucking awesome. (laughs) So he didn't make the band? No, he did not make the band, but I think that he really found where he needed to be in this world. (laughs) And And I'm so happy for that. So... Nick, what would you say is really your takeaway from what these auditions were? I mean, I'm sure, I mean, they obviously were all recorded. Um, I mean, I do think that it probably is them, you know, riff hunting. I mean, I had imagined that there was maybe a tiny bit of honesty, like, hey, maybe we really will find the guy. But like, I don't know. Yeah. So here's what uh, Harmony Central guy has to say. Entering the room, there's one guy. He's got a mute button under his foot. His job is to make sure you follow the rules. If you break any, you get muted and kicked out immediately. (laughs) Yeah. The guy says, you have 60 seconds to play, starting now. Wow. (laughs) Right? So, I mean, that's an insane amount of pressure. But this guy, he does his thing, he leaves. The winners are supposed to be announced at 5.30. So, So 12 and a half hours after he started his day. Oh, it gets so much more fucked up. So the winners are supposed to be announced 5.30 and everyone has to remain in the front parking lot until that time. That's over 200 people plus anybody that came with them, you know, friends, bandmates, whatever. They're all stuck in a parking lot until everybody finishes and winners are announced. If you leave, that's it, right? In February. Here's where it descends into peer torture. 5.30 rolls around. The band management promised free pizza. It came. There were two boxes of pizza. (laughs) Two large pizzas. (laughs) The clock keeps ticking, and it's six o'clock before we notice anything going on. You ready for this, Nick? I'm ready. Throw it at me. Guitar Center management flags all of their people in security to come inside to discuss something. They go in there, and the guy in charge walks out with a megaphone. After getting everyone's attention, the guy on the megaphone speaks. This competition has been called off effective immediately and will not be rescheduled. The band will not be performing with nor for anyone. They will not be signing autographs. This is beyond our control. Please exit the area immediately. Wow. Oh, man. 
the guitar center employees they retreat they lock the doors and they have armed security stand Holy guard shit so people start losing their fucking minds oh yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> he's so mad I, I want to go back to that contest winner from the radio station. You remember uh, remember yeah. that? You get the sign, Les Paul. The woman who won, she drove about 200 miles to be there. She took her 10-year-old kid, and this was supposed to be his first concert. Guitar Center told her that the band refused to acknowledge the contest. So not only did she drive three and a half hours for no performance, she got no guitar. <laughs> Because our center couldn't even be like, well, we'll just give you one that's unsigned. Fuck no. No, you get nothing. Hey, and hey, and fuck your kid, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the actual police are dispatched to the scene to disperse the crowd. And after about an hour, they do just that. So at this point, it's 7.30 p.m. It's nearly 15 hours. The tour soldiered on to Georgia, Florida, New Orleans, and Texas, and it was finally canceled on the last two dates. Do you want to know who they chose as their winner? Oh, yeah, of course I do. No one. Yeah, absolutely nobody. Absolutely nobody. The band headed into the studio with snot guitarist Mike Smith to record their first album without Borland. Yeah. Hey, hey buddy, here's a here's hundred riffs that we recorded <laughs> from dumb fucks in the suburbs. <laughs> This album was originally titled Bipolar before it was changed to Panty Sniffer. Oh, God. Other working titles for this album were Less Is More, Fetus More. Do you mean me repeat that? Yeah. Less Is More, Fetus More. F-E-T-U-S. Yeah, yeah. Fe fetus More. Mm-hmm. Okay. Surrender and... The Search for Teddy Swoes. What? <laughs> the Search for Teddy Swoes. Okay. Yeah. Finally, they re they uh, settled on Results May Vary, which would be their fourth studio album. Here's what Durst had to say about new guitarist Mike Smith. Mike brought in a breath of fresh air. Creatively, it fit like a glove. It made life easier and more positive. It made us look forward to getting together as a band so much more. The positive effect he had on me just made the whole experience of Limp Biscuit feel like a brand new entity. They kicked him out and scrapped the sessions. <laughs> Durst about that. Mike wasn't the guy. We had fun playing with him, but always knew in the back of our minds that he wasn't what, where we needed him to be mentally. Oh, wow. yeah. Okay. So that's something considering the last guitar player in their band was Wes Borland. Yeah. <laughs> the guy that looked like the most unstable person in rock music after Mike Patton. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny you, uh, you, you bring up unstable musicians. They headed back into the studio after they scrapped all these sessions, and they worked on recording another album. Would you like to know who they worked with? Uh, yes. Paige Hamilton of Helmet. Rivers Cuomo of Weezer, Al Jorgensen of Ministry, and Bubba Sparks. <laughs> Would you like to know what happened with that album? They scrapped it? Yes, they did. <laughs> Finally, Durst and uh, drummer John Otto and bassist Sam Rivers, they wrote 30 songs together. 
19 of which were put on the album, along with a cover of The Who's Behind Blue Eyes. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. And and considering it has 19 songs, I'm assuming it will be the album that you select for your next album review show. 100%. We are going to be doing results may vary. And if anybody listening, if anybody has the original Paige Hamilton, Rivers Cuomo, Al Jorgensen, Bubba Sparks, Limp Biscuit tapes, if they have those hiding anywhere, please, please send them to me because I need to know what that sounds like. Results may vary. It was critically panned, but it peaked at number three on the Billboard 200 because fucking of course it did. But this actually ended their number one streak. The album still sold a million copies in the first four months and is certified platinum because fuck it. I like how they say it ends their number one streak. Like two is not a streak. So what did Fred Durst have to say about the six members of Lid Biscuit? I want to quote from a blog entry on the band's website dated February 8th, 2002. This comes six days after the Virginia Beach incident. (coughs) Hello, everybody. This is Fred. I want you to listen and listen close. That includes every piece of shit talking shit and every hater talking shit. This is specifically written for you in all honesty. Everything we, Limp Biscuit, do is motivated and driven by our love for our fans and our love for what we do. All these fucking he said, she said bullshit rumors about what's going on with the guitar search are horseshit. <laughs> Anyone who is mad about their experience trying out for Limp Biscuit at Guitar Center simply and plainly 100% sucked. There are a lot of people waiting to audition each day, and when they come into the room to play guitar, they get up to 60 seconds to give us a sample of what it is they do and what they're about. If at any time during the 60 seconds they are interrupted or asked to stop, then that is their, read between the lines, answer to how not the right vibe they are for anything pertaining to Limp Biscuit or any project Limp Biscuit is working on. But if they were asked to continue playing or asked to play with the band later that evening, which has been over 20 people on the whole tour, then there was something that was interesting enough to spark our curiosity. People who are auditioning are asked to sign a release so their images and likenesses can be used in any documentary that Limp Biscuit would like to make, MTV, website, etc. In no way whatsoever would Limp Biscuit ever steal or take anything music riffs from anyone on this planet and remember that the only person who watches a thief is a thief we did not record any of the pre-auditions not one fuck you haters (laughs) better yourself a little advice to everyone else i can't wait to get back online and into the chat Things are looking very positive for Limp Biscuit. You'll be proud and surprised at what's coming your way. Oh yeah, one more thing. Fuck you again, haters. Oh my god. Just like definitive proof that whenever anybody goes from nothing to rich, that they eventually become a horrible, horrible human being. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Like... The fact that you can't even address people's concerns, like, okay, you know what? They might not ever be Limp Biscuit, but some of them might be Chris Arp. Right. And some of them might go on to have pretty legitimate indie careers. And 
they might be worried about that shit. And for you not even to go, hey, you know what? We understand that's a real legitimate concern and we want you to know that we value our fans and their creative output and we want to see them become the biggest bands on the planet. Instead of go, fuck you haters, you were good enough. Right, right. And I mean, like, to not honor the, the, the performance and stuff that everybody came out at, like, they just violated the social contract and like... Yeah, just 100%. Awful. I mean, West Borland's the only member of Limp Bizkit that ever seemed like he had like any humanity in him at all like john otto and sam rivers like i've never even heard those guys talk you know they just sit behind their instruments and let fred be the mouthpiece but like one more thing that they did there they promoted throughout this entire thing flawless a and r's will be oh, at the oh, uh, shit. You, you know what the a and r thing was it was a dropbox that you put your cd in yeah that sounds about right yeah so fred Durst is a huge piece of shit this comes as a shock to no one <laughs> but in 2002, he was penultimately so. That would have been the end of the Put the Money Where Your Guitar Is saga. If not, for a little-known guitarist by the name of Eddie Van Halen. Okay. All right. I, I don't even know where this is going. <laughs> so there's going to be two main sources for this episode. Number one is the book Red, My Uncensored Life in Rock by Sammy Hagar. And that was published in 2011. And then the other source is going to be Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen by Andrew Bennett. Those are our two sources. Now, I want to start with Sammy Hagar. So after their 95 tour, Sammy Hagar's relationship with Van Halen really started to kind of fizzle. He left Van Halen the following year. So there was a lot of he said, she said type stuff going on. Well, it's all about the he said, oh, she said. Oh, fuck! <laughs> In 2004, Hagar finally gets a call about a possible reunion. Now I'm going to quote from his book. In this part, he shows up to Eddie Van Halen's studio and he's waiting around for Eddie and Alex to show up and they're going to kind of just vibe and jam it out. And I mean, they haven't seen each other in you know, well over... Uh, I guess almost a decade now. So here's what Hagar had to say about that. I'd been waiting around 5150 Studios for more than an hour when Eddie finally showed up. I hadn't seen him in a decade. He looked like he hadn't bathed in a week. He certainly hadn't changed his clothes in at least that long. He wasn't wearing a shirt. He had a giant overcoat and army pants, tattered and ripped at the cuffs, held up with a piece of rope. He was missing a number of teeth, and the ones he had were black. <laughs> his boots were so worn out that he had gaffer's tape wrapped around them, and his big toes stuck out. He walked up to me, hunched over like a little old man, a cigarette in his mouth. He had a third of his tongue removed because of cancer, and he spoke with a slight lisp. He claimed the cancer came from putting the guitar pick in his mouth when he used his fingers to play. He walked around all day drinking cheap Shiraz straight out of the bottle. That's why his teeth were all black. <laughs> he was living with a pathologist. He kept... Oh, Christ. He was living with a pathologist who kept taking slices off his tongue to check for cancer. He beat the cancer. He told me he cured himself by having pieces of his tongue liquefied and injected into his body. Oh my god! Oh my god, alright. You ready for this? Yeah. 
He also told me he had his hip replacement. He stayed awake through the operation and helped the doctors drill the hole. <laughs> so, Eddie Van Halen is out of his fucking mind in 2004. Hagar wraps it up by saying, Whatever he was doing, he kept it out of you. I never saw what it was, but he kept doing something, plus drinking wine all day. He would never be in one place longer than 20 minutes. I'll be right back, he would say. I gotta take a shit. <laughs> this was Eddie Van Halen, one of the sweetest guys I'd ever met. He had turned into the weirdest fuck I'd ever seen. <laughs> they start work on a new album in 2004, and it is a shit show. It takes three months for Van Halen to do his own guitar work. Hagar on the other side was in and out in a week. At this time, they actually try to uh, stage an intervention, and they bring in the manager in tow. So Eddie walks in, and he's carrying his wine bottle. Their manager does all the talking. He tells Eddie that the uh, 2004 tour was going to be difficult. If he needed to step away for a week or two, that they could postpone some dates. And uh, everybody there, they agree that Eddie needs to clean up. So how does Eddie take this? He smashes the bottle and says, Fuck you. I will kill the first motherfucker that tries to take this bottle away from me, which he's also just smashed. <laughs> I left my family for this shit. You think I'm going to fucking do this for you guys? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Panama. Yeah, what do you do when you uh you name your band after you know, like you can't can't kick Van Halen out. It'll still be Van Halen. Well, you well, guess you're named after the bass player now. Yeah, you've got Alex. <laughs> you don't have the wine drinking maniac who has his shoes taped up and a and a rope belt and is waving a broken wine bottle at everyone, telling them that he with guitar pick cancer. Yeah. Oh man, that guitar pick cancer. That's what. Hey, that's why I wear the ribbon. <laughs> I gotta do my part to bring awareness. That's why I drink so much wine. I got. That's why I have all the black teeth, and I and I threaten people with a broken wine bottle is to bring awareness. Hagar uh, goes on to say, one time we got on a plane after a show, and he spent practically the whole flight in the bathroom. When he finally came out, he had this hairbrush, the kind with the fur bristles, twisted up in his hair, hanging down. He was soaking wet, covered in water, like he tried to take a bath in the airplane sink. He flopped down on the floor, fussing with the brush caught in his hair. He never went back to his seat. He landed that way. Hospital crazy. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it breaks your fucking heart. But at the same time, it makes what is about to happen that much better. All right. I want to get to the redemption arc here, but I need to just really solidify for you how fucking crazy Eddie Van Halen is at this okay. point. Uh, Hagar says, once in a while I'd go over to his dressing room before the show and see how he was. And the times I did, it was usually great. Other times, he'd start telling me crazy shit. Like, I pulled out my own tooth. There was this thing bugging me, so I got a pair of pliers and pulled it out. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I kept thinking each week would be the last. He was going to land in the hospital. He collapsed a couple times. He told us one time that he had been hit by a car. He was lying down and he was so fucked up he said, I got hit by a car. You guys don't understand. <laughs> His solo turned into a disaster. It used to be the highlight of every show. 
Now he would play nothing, just garbage. He would try to play Eruption, one of his greatest pieces, and screwed up. He would just grab the whammy bar, hit the sustainer, and start making all this noise. The audience wasn't buying it either. Oh, man. Yeah, like, this, uh, I do feel bad. Well, yeah, he's clearly in an absolute yeah, mental breakdown. I, that part kind of breaks my heart, and I hate for anybody to deal with those kind of demons, but I am so glad that it was Eddie Van Halen who did it for what he's about to do. <laughs> this uh, Now, I trust that this has something to do with new metal. Going back to Eruption in the Canyon by Andrew Bennett, uh, which, by the way, you cannot find online because the Van Halen estate has basically, like, put it in legal limbo where did you did you own it i don't own it all of this came from forwards of the book which are, were published in magazines leading up to it you can't find this book okay so if you remember west borland left limp biscuit and it is no easy feat to replace this yes. man fred durst and eddie van halen and eddie van halen's manager jimmy ivine they all found themselves at the uh, Playboy Mansion for a party. Oh, yeah. No, nothing like inviting the, the toothless, <laughs> the hobo, like, the guy with his shoes duct taped together to the grotto. Yeah, no. <laughs> Who's the guy with the bindle? Oh, that's, that's Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Van Halen gets in the pool and creates an oil slug. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> hey, is this, is this grotto water good to drink? <laughs> Where's the wine? Where's the wine? <laughs> oh, which, by the way... Andrew Bennett says that the only wine he ever saw him drink was a smoking loon. Okay. Hey, man, he's a man, a man of taste. Nick, would you like to know how much a bottle of smoking loon Cabernet goes for at Total Wine? How much? $5.49. Oh, cents. my God. All right. It's gas station wine. Its tagline is, discover a rare bird. So anyway, Van Halen is all fucked up on wine, and uh, him and Fred Durster meet at the Playboy Mansion. To quote from Andrew Bennett, apparently Jimmy said to Fred, hey, you should get Van Halen, while Eddie was standing there. Fred said, fuck it, let's do it. Then Ed said, fuck it, let's jam. Eddie Van Halen was never going to join Limp Biscuit. I don't think Iveen was serious either. Fred Durst is a really smart guy. Even if Eddie is fucking with you, he's going to come to your house and play with you. That's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Which, which it is. I mean, yeah, the, the rhythm section of Limp Bizkit's quite talented. Like, oh yeah, they're not, they, you know, not. I mean, Fred Durst is a clown, but those dudes could play. Yeah, I mean, they they could play, and it's like, e even if Eddie Van Halen looks like a deranged lunatic at this point, you still you still know who Van Halen is. And and yeah, and West Borland always looked like a deranged lunatic. <laughs> yeah, that's to it. That is true. Yeah, actually, Eddie Van Halen might have been the greatest replacement for Limp Bizkit. Yeah. Oh my god. Bennett goes on to say. Ed brought his own gear, not because he was interested in replacing Borland, but because there's no fucking way Eddie will plug his guitar into anyone else's rig. This is a testament to his perfectionism. Eddie brings his own cables, pedals, amps, heads. Ed told me it's like being a scholar amongst kindergartners. So even at his most wine-drunk deranged, like, Eddie Van Halen is still a fucking genius, dude. Uh, yeah, oh no, for sure. Like... I think that's part of the problem is that, like, most geniuses just lose their fucking mind. You know, you got, like, the Phil Spector thing going yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, Brian Wilson. Uh, Van Halen falls firmly into that camp of just being, like, a genius lunatic. So he shows up, and he loads in all his equipment, and he starts to uh, do his thing. 
but then DJ Lethal starts smoking weed. Okay. Which is the weirdest thing I could ever say. Eddie Van Halen is <laughs> in playing the as a DJ. Eddie Van Halen. Okay. Yeah. DJ Lethal starts smoking weed and Eddie Van Halen smells it. Fun fact, Eddie hates weed. Okay. Hates it. Loves wine. Hates, <laughs> hates weed. weed. Well, sure. I mean, he's, he's had an entire career of like fending off ditch weed smoke at outside arena shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, according to uh, th- this author, he hates it because he associates it with laziness. Gotcha. Which, I guess, wine just makes you no. fucking amped. Yeah, right. Smoking Loon. Days of the News, sponsored by Smoking Loon <laughs> Wine. <laughs> Available at your finest 7 Eleven. <laughs> or Wawa, <laughs> depending on where you are. He he smells DJ Lethal's blunt smoking, and he's just not impressed by Limp Biscuit because why would he be? He leaves, and that's kind of the end of that story. Except he leaves his equipment there. He calls Fred Durst three times for his equipment, according to this account, and apparently Fred Durst ignores the calls because yeah. he's Fred Durst. He disrespected the, fuck the fucking king. Yeah. Yeah. The following day, he attempted to recover his gear and he was still upset about the experience of not hearing back after 24 hours. So here's where he decides to take matters into his own hands. I am now going to read again from Andrew Bennett. Eddie once bought an assault vehicle from a military officer. (laughs) Okay, well, that just went in a direction I didn't see it going in. It has a shine gun mount on the back and is not legal. Eddie drove that assault vehicle through LA. So like he, Beverly. He went full Batman. Yes. <laughs> he went and got the Batmobile. <laughs> yes, he did. Eddie drove that assault vehicle through LA into Beverly Hills, then parked it and left it running on the front lawn of the house Limp Biscuit was rehearsing in. Oh my god. Alright, let that sink in. He got out wearing no shirt. His hair and a samurai bun on top of his Yes! His jeans held up with a strand of rope and combat boots held together by duct tape. Remember, these are two different accounts. One from Sammy Hagar and one from the other guy. Nobody's making this shit up. (laughs) This is how Van Halen looked at that time. These are two separate accounts that were both published about Van Halen's state of mind. Oh my god. But I, I'm forgetting the most important accessory. A gun in his hand. <laughs> yeah, because why not? Yeah. Here's how Van Halen later recalled it to Bennett. That asshole answered the door. I put my gun to that stupid fucking red hat of his. And I said, where's my shit, motherfucker? Oh my god. That fucking guy just turned to one of his employees and starts yelling at him to grab my shit. Eddie Van Halen stood on the front lawn of a residential home in Beverly Hills in broad daylight, smoking a cigarette while holding a gun on Fred Durst as he went back and forth from the house to the assault vehicle, lugging guitars and amps. Wow. Yeah. Man, that is... Uh, I love it. I love it, and I wish there was surveillance footage for me to watch every day. Well, I just want to send my sincerest thanks to Smoking Loon Wine. (laughs) 
for creating such a high caliber product as to take one of the greatest guitar prodigies to ever exist and reduce him to a handgun toting maniac who would then pull a gun on Fred Durst in broad daylight oh, so that we man. could then share this story. I just, I, I want to know what his like thought process was as he's driving a tank. <laughs> you know? Wine, 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 wine. God, you don't be better than my gun in this assault vehicle. Wine. I spent hours spray painting duct tape lines on that guitar. <laughs> I'll be damned if I don't get it back with Fred Durst. Spray painting duct tape lines on the guitar and then using real duct tape on your boots <laughs> is a fucking crazy look. No, but like the thing about Eddie Van Halen though is like even when he's at his like biggest prodigies, he's he's weird. Like the guy literally he took the pick guard off of his guitar to like wire in a new pickup and he just stuck it in the empty cavity and didn't put the pickguard back on it. So he used to play this like monstrosity of a guitar. Like, I, I just think like, yeah, he was probably a little crazy the whole time. Jesus Christ. And, th and there's, there's no follow-up. It's just, he gave the shit back and Eddie Van Halen went home and. I've looked high and low for any account that Fred Durst would say to back it up. But of course, Fred Durst right. isn't going to say, yeah, I got owned. Right. Uh, you know, cause he's a bitch. <laughs> To me, this is probably my favorite new metal story ever. It's, I mean, it's absolutely insane. I love it. Yeah, um, I, you know, it starts with uh, with uh, Sway and Sujan Pak saying, "Oh, Fred Durst is wild. Maybe you could be the next uh, guitar hero for Limp Biscuit." And it ends with a black toothed man <laughs> waving a gun a at Fred Durst. <laughs> yes. Like that is how things are supposed to work in the world. That yeah. is that is karmic. Justice. I feel like you should uh, write the film treatment, Kevin. Make some money. Yes. Uh, you know what? If Smoking Loon and Black Water <laughs> want to sponsor this, I will gladly uh, write, write the film treatment. I love it. All right. Well, thus ends the epic tale of Fred Durst and the Put the Money Where Your Guitar Is contest, which turned into the Put the Gun in Fred Durst's Face reality. <laughs> Nick, what you listening to? So I've been a little stressed out, you know, just between work and the state of the country. And just I, uh, I go back to uh, a certain band when I just want to, like, chill a little bit. And that band is called Tiger's Jaw. Mm. Nice. Um, this is a band that I hated the first time I saw them live. And then somehow I was just at the right place in the right time. And I went back and listened to them again uh, years ago. And I just really, really enjoy them. I've seen them live since. And um, their music has a special place for me. Um, we're going to give you the song Chemicals off their first self-titled album, Tiger's Jaw. Yeah, check that out. I like it. Uh, Nick, I am a lot like you. I'm feeling the political stress. Uh, I, I, hopefully by the time that this comes out to the world, that will have dissipated. But as it stands right now, you know, I'm also in a very anxious place. Unlike you, I don't unwind. And what I am listening to right now is the 2018 album from Race Trader called 2042. Race Trader, for those of you who don't know, is an epic epic hardcore band which is known for featuring the drummer from fallout boy You're from milwaukee he wasn't, right uh yeah milwaukee chicago midwest area this was what the drummer from fallout boy was doing prior to fallout boy and has gone back into that fallout boy is like the least important part of this race traders an incredible fucking band 
The song that I am going to recommend is uh, By the Time I Get to Pennsylvania. Uh, that one's a ripper. Right. If you haven't gathered, this is not a uh, white supremacist band, even though they sound like one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually, like, I had a Race Trader t-shirt, and I had to stop wearing it because, like... Risky. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely one of those shirts that you only wear when you're leaving your car to go directly to a show of like-minded people who'll be like, nice Race Trader shirt. <laughs> and then you immediately go back to your car and you stop at no gas stations on the way. Anyway, that is going to wrap it up for us. We will see you next Thursday. Don't feel like-